Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome back. August is the month when we are talking about building your grant writing career, so we've got the whole month dedicated to this series. If you missed last week's, make sure you go check out the top tech tools that I use the most in my grant writing business. Also, remember, I want to hear from you this month. I want to answer your questions. What is your biggest challenge or frustration when it comes to grant writing? Email me at info at TeresaHuff.com or you can message me over on LinkedIn and let me know so that I can make this month's content as useful as possible for you. I'll link to everything in the show notes, but make sure you tell me what is your biggest challenge with grant writing. Today, we're going to talk about something that I hear quite a bit, and that is contracts. How do we handle them? Where do we start? How do we even know what to put in a contract? Where do I find them? I've got a guest today, and she has got the answers for you. Today, I'm talking with Danielle Liss from Liss Legal, and she is passionate about simplifying legal for small business owners. You're welcome. <laughs> she makes it so down to earth, and I've heard her referred to as the least lawyery lawyer you'll ever meet, and I would agree. She just makes it so not scary. Danielle's the owner of Business Ease, which offers DIY legal templates, and she also has her own law firm, List Legal, where she really focuses on helping online business owners, bloggers, influencers, wellness professionals, that type of crowd. And Danielle has also served in some big positions at general counsel for eight-figure companies. So she knows her stuff, but she breaks it down into everyday terms that you will be able to understand. And she gives us some really practical tips today for setting up contracts, what they should include, and how they should work for you, not against you. The whole idea is to help build your business, not be a huge headache for you. And with that, here we go. Danielle, welcome to the show. I'm excited about this information today that you're going to share with us. But before we get started, tell us a random fact about yourself. I think probably the one random fact, if you know me, you know it, but if you don't, it seems weird. I have a hairless cat. Oh my, I want to see a picture now. <laughs> yeah, they're um, they're a special breed and they're very sweet and loving, but they can definitely be something that people are like, <gasps> What is that? Uh-huh. <laughs> <my> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you get this on purpose or did the cat find you? I did. I got my first hairless cat when I was still in law school and I saw something on Saturday Night Live and I was like, I kind of like that cat. And like it was late at night. Maybe it wasn't the best time to be making a decision. And then I had messaged a breeder and that kind of started the whole process from there. And I've had a few since then. Um, we just have one now and then one regular furry cat. And I definitely like the one without fur better. Really? The other one is a little, 
Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> you know, I love cats, but ever since I was a teenager, I've had horrible allergies, so I can't even touch them anymore. So maybe that would be a good compromise. My husband is also, he has allergies. It's more to the fur, um, but he likes to say that he's completely allergic to her just so that she'll leave him alone because she is... Um, <laughs> A little more high maintenance, I think. Other cats. So he's just like, yeah, yeah, get her away from me. I'm like, oh. you have a special bond with her. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Well, tell us about the work you're doing now and kind of how this came about and why this is such a passionate area for you. Sure. Well, I'm a lawyer and I hated the kind of law that I was practicing when I first started out. And that was primarily business litigation, and I did a lot of construction law. And for anyone who knows me, that does not work for my brain. I just don't have that engineer's type of mind. Like I would kind of, I understood enough to get by, but I was never going to be like the superstar construction attorney who can like look at the plans and find the thing. It just, no, (laughs) it wasn't me. Um, So I was also at the same time working a lot. I was a blogger from law school on, and it was this interesting world that was like really just kind of getting started with sponsored content and folks who were monetizing their blogs. And I became really interested in the legal side of that because we were dealing with a lot of folks who were blogging as a hobby and doing things as a hobby and then realized they could make money on it. And there was a really big gap in the services that were available. So I had the ability to kind of fill some of that and to make sure that people had the education that they needed my turn my career i should say has taken a number of turns along the way i worked as cmo and general counsel for an influencer network i worked as general counsel for a digital fitness company and i've had law firms along the way but what kind of drives me for this is since that time there are a lot of small business owners who know that legal is important find it completely overwhelming because it's just not what they do and it feels and oftentimes is a completely foreign language. So my passion is really trying to find a way to help people simplify that side of their business so that it doesn't seem as overwhelming and to give people tools, whether it is a lawyer that they know they can talk to or whether it is contract templates, things like that, to find things that will help people be a little bit more proactive on the legal side than just waiting for something bad to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've seen that shift as you were talking over time, just in my own business, but in the online world in general of how businesses are shifting online and clients may not be the business down the street or the client next door. It may be somebody halfway around the world. So really our contracts and our businesses have to shift in light of that which as a small business owner, it is kind of overwhelming to even know, how do I navigate this? How do I protect myself? So it's good to have someone that I know gets it Mm -hmm. and knows what to look for and knows what pitfalls I need to avoid or to have to protect myself in that consulting realm. I think it's so important. And it's, it's what you said. This was, you know, is even pre pandemic things were moving more online because I think that people have niched their businesses in a way where they have this level of expertise, which is amazing, but it's not always just going to be the people who are in your 
specific geographic area who need those services. So it is really important to know how do you work with people? What do you need if you're in the digital space? And I would say probably 90% of the folks that I work with are in some component of a digital business, whether it is that they do everything virtually or that they are working with people from all over the place and really just trying to figure out like, how does this impact the people that I work with, but also making sure, because I think it can be a little bit different when you are meeting someone in person, you can get a little bit better feel, I think, for their company and for that person. Whereas when you're working with somebody online, you might not have the same level of interaction that you would if you're doing in-person meetings. So I think it is important to make sure that you are giving yourself the protection to ensure that you won't have any issues if something happens within that relationship. So I think contracts have become a really key part for people so that they feel comfortable and that they know that they've got all the protection that they need as they're doing business online. For sure. And that's something that's always, like you said, you hit the nail on the head when it's like, we know we need it as contractors, but yet where do we start? How do we go about it? And so to address that, where would you say, like, say I'm a new consultant, I want to work with clients. Where do I even start? How would I go about even putting that together? There's two ways that I think you can go on this. First, I think you have to know yourself. I am not a DIY person. I don't want to. I will claim that I am a DIY person. It's a lie that I'll tell myself for like, a month or two after I start the project and then I'll get like frustrated that I haven't done it and then I'm not suddenly an expert and then I will immediately say forget it I'm hiring somebody. Um and this is for everything home <laughs> business it doesn't matter. Right. Um so you need to know whether or not you are the type of person who wants to do a DIY and kind of dive in and get to know that side of things or if you are the kind of person who wants more of a done for you. If you are comfortable with DIY, I think that there are a lot of really good contract templates that are out there now. When I started, so one side of my business is um, a company called Business Ease that sells contract templates, website policy templates, things along those lines. When the business started, there was not a ton of folks in the industry, whether it, I mean, LegalZoom has always been out there, Rocket Lawyer, those folks, but the more specific types of templates that I think a lot of people are now looking for kind of for their business weren't out there. But I think that that has changed a lot. So there are a lot of great options if you are comfortable with that. And what I want to tell people is it's okay if you aren't comfortable with that. It is okay if you prefer a done-for-you service or you just want a lawyer that you can talk to. But I think that it's know that about yourself and then kind of go into it and say, okay, what do I want from my client agreement? A lot of times I think people think of a contract as the scary place that they never want to deal with, that's full of all the intimidating language, et cetera. I personally think that your contract is a guide for your relationship. Yes, it's there if something bad happens, but it should also be there to help you set your relationship. It can be there to set boundaries. It can be there to make sure that you aren't waiting on clients for ages to get information back to you. It can make sure that you are protected from them saying, well, you guaranteed me results. And you're like, I didn't guarantee you results. I said I would do X, Y, and Z. So I think a contract can really be a very good tool for you to set out 
your relationship. So you just need to kind of think about that ahead of time and say, what do I want to cover in this agreement? And also, how do you want it to sound? I'm guessing everyone has probably read at some point one of those contracts that is just all the legalese. If you've bought a house, if you have bought a car, anything that has like, you know, just those boilerplate type agreements, like they make my, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to read them. I want to go to sleep when I read them. And this is my job every day. Like I joke, contracts <laughs> are my love language, right? And I don't want to read these. Mm-hmm. So and maybe think, we've tried to read them, but our yeah. eyes glazed over after the yeah. first line. So same. we just said, yeah, looks good. <laughs> same. And I do the same thing. And I will, I also don't want to read those. So I get it. And I think that that's what most people think of in their head when they think of a contract. And I fully understand why your contract can be like that. And your contract for some companies, a really formal contract is expected and needed. Like if you're working with somebody who's like a really big corporation that has their own in-house legal department, they may be expecting to see something that is far more formal. But there are also clients, if you're working with a smaller nonprofit who they might not have somebody who is doing all of their legal for them and they want something that they can read and feel comfortable with. And you as the consultant want them to sign (laughs) and you want them Mm -hmm. to sign without like holding it for three months and saying, I don't know, I just don't want to read it because I don't understand it, Mm -hmm. but we don't have the budget to hire a lawyer to go over it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a plain language agreement is going to be a better fit. So I think it's a good balance of you kind of knowing, okay, this is my goal for my contract and here's what I want to do with it. And then whether you want to template work with everything, or if you want to find a lawyer who can kind of speak your language and translate it all, that's the best next step. But just make sure you've got that kind of guidance in writing for how your relationship should move forward. I love that we have that permission to use everyday language, that we don't have to have the wherewiths and therefores and (laughs) all the legal Mm -hmm. jargon that really a lot of it for everyday people is just jargon that it's maybe not necessary, but it feels like it makes it more legal. So I love that we have that permission to just bring it down and say the terms in everyday language that everybody can understand. We know what we're agreeing to. Just lay it out. Here it is. I think it's important. And what I always tell my clients, if I have somebody who comes to me for a plain language agreement, I tell them, I can probably get you down to about 90% regular old English. I was like, there are always going to be a couple of pieces that are kind of those boilerplate clauses toward the end that are a little bit more specific and they're not always the best to read. But if something, you know, worst case scenario happens and you end up in court, you want those few pieces in there. But for the most part, the key is really to think through, like, what are the things that I need to have in this agreement? And most agreements really are very similar. You want to have your payment provisions in there. You want to have a termination provision. Confidentiality is, of course, going to be really important for most consultants. So what are those pieces? Then make sure your scope of work is very clear. I think that scope of work or a statement of your services, whatever you want to call it, is a critical piece of what you're doing. And depending upon how your business is structured, if you send out proposals ahead of time, it may be that your proposal is your scope of work and they're agreeing to that. And then you're essentially saying the proposal that you agreed to is, you know, incorporated into this agreement as the services that will be provided. So just make sure you've got the pieces that you need uh, so that it's really clear. But again, for 
a consultant, one of the things that's going to be really important is making sure that you are not giving a guarantee um, to make sure you are saying, I am giving you the following, but I can't guarantee what the results of that are going to be. I'm only giving you X, Y, and Z. So I think that that's an important one to remember. And that I think is really key. Like I can tell you all the formal language that you can put there, but if somebody can't understand it and they're thinking that you're there to drive results, I think that that's important to be plain language so that you can say, you know, this is an art, not a science. This is this, this is not this, um, just to make sure that it's really clear and that you should understand it and be happy with it. And your client should understand it and be happy with it. Um, your client is there to hire you and they want to work with you. So the contract shouldn't be a hurdle. The contract should really be something that is just for you to say, here's how I work with you. Here are the terms to this relationship. Are you good with how we're going to treat one another? Because it really isn't just a one-sided situation. Yes. And I like that idea of being proactive that you mentioned earlier of by setting those boundaries and clear expectations up front. It really does help in the long run to have a stronger relationship to where everyone knows what's expected, what's not expected. It's really clear up front. Do you recommend that a consultant go through kind of the high points with the client and say, okay, this covers, it just says, I'm an independent contractor. I'm this, we do this. Or do you just recommend we send it to them through the online signature and let them review for themselves? Any thoughts on that? I think it depends on your clients. And I think that it can probably be a decision that you make for each client. If you have somebody who seems, who's just like, oh, we have to sign a contract, then it might be better to get on the phone and walk with them paragraph by paragraph, do a Zoom with them, share your screen and say, here's what this piece means. Here's what this piece means. Are you good with this? Okay. Do you have any changes? That way you can have a full discussion on it and that there shouldn't be anything where you feel like they're cringing and wanting to run away during the conversation. If you feel like they have a somewhat more sophisticated experience level where they are fine just kind of running through something really quickly, then you may just want to send it through an e-signature service. It really depends on who your clientele is. But if you feel like it's a benefit, offer it to them and just say, hey, I know that a lot of people hate reading contracts. I get it. So if you prefer, I'm going to send this to you now for e-signature. But if you want, I'm happy to get on and run through it. So that might be a good compromise to do kind of a best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea. And that also speaks to the importance of knowing your contract yourself so that you can do that. It doesn't have to be this intimidating thing that just sits in a file. You only pull it out when you need to get a signature, but to actually understand what's in it for yourself. And if it's in everyday language, then you should be able to understand it, at least the high points. It is so critical. Whenever I draft contracts for people, I will tell them, you need to understand this just as well as I do, at least generally what it is asking. Because what happens is sometimes when people get a revision on a contract, I think they panic. And whether they call it a red line or a revision, whatever it is, when those come through, because people don't understand the content of their own agreement, they don't know enough to feel comfortable making the change to it. And I think that that is... A lot of times it's not a big deal. Like the revisions that come through, I have clients who send them and they're like, I'm freaking out. This person sent me revisions. Does Number one, does this mean my contract isn't good? And number two, 
why are they asking me to change it? Nobody ever asked me to change it. And I'll read it. And I'm like, these really aren't a big deal. These are like minor things. Are you okay if they want to do this, this, and this? And they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. I'm like, that's all they're asking. Is So it doesn't have to be a scary situation. And if you know your agreement, I think that takes a lot of the sort of panic moments of having someone ask for a change out of it. Because I will tell you, it is extremely unusual to work in an industry where there are not regular contract changes. Every other industry that I worked in prior to working with smaller business owners, there's always contract changes. Like it's a given. It was just a we'd be lucky sometimes if we had like five or six revisions and that was it. Like it would be not, it's completely expected. So when I heard people freaking out the first time they got a revision, I was like, okay. It's just because there's not necessarily the understanding as to what it means. And remember when somebody asks for a revision, you can say, no, you don't have to accept it. You can always say, you know what, this doesn't work for me. And then you can try to negotiate it from there. That's a good point. And to remember that it's not personal. It's no. just a contract. They just don't like this one thing. It doesn't necessarily mean they don't want to work with you. It just may be that certain term or the way it's worded. But I like what you said about it doesn't have to be a yes or no. It could be a, okay, how can we compromise so this works well for both of us? We want this to be a win-win. Yes. One of the things that I think comes up most frequently and it can depend on the size of the organizations that you are working with, is the timing for payments. Um, There are some consultants, I think, who expect to be paid within two days of the invoice going out. And if you're working with a really big company that has multiple layers for their accounting, it's going to take a longer time. So sometimes you're going to have to have that conversation with them and say, you know, my normal turnaround time is that it's due upon receipt of the invoice. 60 days is kind of, you know, you're asking for a lot here. So you can ask them for sure if they are able to accommodate that. And if they're not, you can then make the decision. I think it's just important to have it in your agreement so that you know, for business planning purposes, of course, like when is your income coming in? Um, And that way, if you know, and you've agreed to it, you don't have to feel any low level anxiety, like, oh my gosh, it's been 30 days, my payment's not on here. Well, they've told you it's going to be 60 days, whether you like it or not. It's just because they're whatever the that particular client is, is a slower pay than what you might be used to. Yeah. And that's something to maybe think through ahead of time of, do you want an initial deposit to offset that client? Do you want to adjust your terms knowing that? Because like, for example, working with school districts, they are typically, (laughs) they have a pretty extensive process to go through and purchase orders and approvals and quite a few layers, like you mentioned, as opposed to just a small nonprofit, one person does the accounting, Mm -hmm. it's a pretty quick turnaround. So that is something to take into account, maybe even before to be proactive about that and see if you can head off some of those issues. So you aren't wondering, okay, I need my paycheck. Are they ever going to pay me? Did they just stand me up? (laughs) That is an excellent point. And yes, those things are flexible. And so you can absolutely, if you normally would ask for something at the end of the work, if you want to ask for it ahead of time, do that. Remember the worst thing that can happen is they say no. And then you've got to figure out what your position, you know, your next counter offer is going to be, but it's never, you can always make a change. And please don't ever think, and this is something I see a lot too, people will think this is my contract. This is what my contract says. I cannot deviate from this. 
please be flexible with yourself too. <laughs> it's not just for you know the other party that you want that flexibility. You really should make sure that you have the ability to make those changes. And that's also part of the understanding what's in your agreement is knowing and having a comfort level where if you need to make a tweak to what your payment terms are, that you're comfortable doing that, that it's not a big deal and that you know what that should look like and how that should impact the rest of the agreement. Right. And what you said about proposals, Really, I can't think of any issues I've had with my contracts themselves. It's been more of like once we get the initial proposal terms ironed out of how long do we want this project to be? What's it going to include? How much is it going to cost? Once we've really hashed that out together with me and the client, then when I say, okay, if you're good with these terms, I'll send it over with the contract for signature. And I've never had trouble after that with the contract itself. So really what you said about having the proposal very clear up front, I think that is very important to make sure that you've thought through those angles of what do you want to include? What does your work not include? And having that clearly defined. Yes, I agree. The more pre-planning that you can do, it usually makes the contract just a really simple formality. There shouldn't be a surprise in a contract. It's all to me, a contract is really a recap of everything that you've already discussed. It shouldn't be something that contains things that are brand new or that might alarm the other party. It really can be something that is just, oh, okay. Yeah. This is everything we talked about. Check, check, check. Great sign. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, are there any red flags that you would say to watch for that maybe we should avoid either as a consultant or if you are signing on with someone, is there something that might be like, wait a second, let's check into that before we sign? Anything that doesn't fall into alignment with what your previous discussions were. Everything really should be a reflection of what you have talked about. So big differences in pricing, um, big differences in what they are asking for. If they are like, let's say they're suddenly asking you to only work with them exclusively. That's a big mm -hmm. difference in pricing for suddenly saying I can't work with a competitor, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have something along those lines, that I would definitely question. So I think that it's those surprise things that I really struggle with because again, it should really be a reflection of your conversation, not necessarily, okay, we're thinking about it. And we're getting through. No, you've probably negotiated all of these things. So as long as that piece of it is clear, and particularly with, I think, money, and then also check into termination clauses, because I do think that sometimes that's maybe not something because I mean, when you're talking to somebody and you're ready to sign a contract, everything's good, right? It's like the best part of the relationship. Everything is new. You're ready to commit. No one wants to talk about the divorce. So if there is a breakup, that is something that you want to make sure is really clear. And make sure that you know what each party's rights are and what happens for refunds, especially if you're a consultant. This is so key for you. If one of the parties has to end the agreement early, how do you get paid? Do you have to give a refund? How much of a refund do you have to give? And just make sure that in the event that that happens, that you have the cushion in terms of your business planning and your accounts and any money that's in there to make sure that you have that the ability to give that refund if something came up. And do you have advice on refunds as far as should we consider refunds or not? Should we do partial, a processing fee, any thoughts on that? 
I have seen this vary so much, and it might depend on your clients. Um, it may be that you do a deposit that's non-refundable, and that's really there to kind of hold your time. I see a lot of people who do a pro rata refund. So if they've been prepaid, they'll charge them for the work itself and then do the refund. But if you are billing for things after services are completed, typically then you will want to get paid for whatever you have already done. So it can really depend upon exactly what your clients and what they look like. Because if it's a bigger company, it might even be more difficult for them to terminate because it's just, there's so many layers, right? But if it's more of a smaller company or a smaller nonprofit that you're working with, then it might be something. And the other thing that I always want you to remember, give yourself the ability to terminate if you need to. You might be working with person A during the discussions and they are fantastic and you love them and they are great. And then it gets transferred to whoever your point person will be and the relationship just doesn't work. They are not open. They are not whatever the case might be. If you know that this is not a good fit for you and your business and that you will not be able to serve them the way that you would like to, give yourself the ability to get out of that. Please don't make yourself suffer. Because uh, I've seen way too many consultants do that where they will say, I'm just, I'm stuck. I can't get rid of them and I hate them. And it just, that builds and that makes things even harder. So in that case, then I would definitely say refund for whatever work you have not yet performed. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point because you never know, like a director could switch, someone could resign and someone new come on board. Or like you said, if you can be proactive to know ahead of time who you're going to be working with after the contract negotiation is handed off to that point person, that's wonderful. But sometimes you may not realize that or the people when the project begins it's actually a different mix. So that's a really good point to make sure you do have that layer of protection to have an out that you haven't committed to this huge project and then you're miserable <laughs> the whole exactly. time. And I have seen so many people do that and they're like, I just, I can't, I can't leave. And I'm like, this, like, to me, that's one of the benefits of being a consultant, right? <laughs> you mm -hmm. can do, you can kind of create the business that you want for yourself. So don't, put yourself through that if it is going to be a miserable experience. And the likelihood of it happening is probably really minimal. So I don't want everyone to think, oh, this is an all the time thing. It's not. But in the event that it does, like, I think we've all had that one client in our career, right? Mm -hmm. Just the one. And we all, we, we all have that person who comes to our mind. So this gives you the ability to avoid maybe having that one person <laughs> who will become the character in your memory forever. Um, right. But it is, it's, it's just those little things. So it's important to think, you know, how do I want to communicate with them throughout? What happens if things go bad? What is it that I need to include to really make this as clear as possible? What the steps of our relationship are going to be? I really like the idea of the contract kind of being an extension of our business, of how we want to design our business. And therefore, the contract helps us do that. It's not this intimidating legal thing that we have to do. It's this actual tool that really does help support the business we're trying to create. Yes, 100%. I think that it really, I look at them as a guidebook. Yes, there's going to be the pieces that you don't necessarily want to read, which are those boilerplate types of clauses. But the rest of it, in my own agreements, I try to make them as clear as possible. Like I, Because I work with so many people who are in a digital virtual type space, 
I have people who come to me on just about any channel you can imagine. And I'm like, I do not accept any client communications on Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. I just, I, yes, I use them, but do I trust them for attorney client confidentiality? Nope. So it's, it's one of those things where set those boundaries. And I'm really clear, like, here's how I want you to communicate with me. Here are the tools that I use. Here's when you can expect to hear from me because if you don't set that expectation and the client says, why haven't I heard from you? It's been two hours. Like what it's taking you so long. And you're thinking, it's been two hours. Calm down. Yeah, like I that's was in a, a meeting. <laughs> right. Exactly. I was just not answering emails right now. Uh-huh. Like it's one of those things where having how you communicate, it can make a really big difference. Or I also try to meet my clients where they are. Like I am, I would prefer everything in email just because I can better organize it and keep track of it. But I have a number of clients who are very auditory processors. They need to talk things through. And so we do some private Voxer chats for them because it's just, it's the way that they work. So I try to meet people where they are. And that can be also an important thing to keep in mind as well. If you think that something isn't going clearly, then it may be that you're not communicating with them in the right way. So it might be time to pick up the phone or do some other type of communication because it might just be that they're not email people or if that's how you're communicating. So maybe, hey, can we talk real quick just to make sure that you are reading things the right way? Like if you're thinking, oh, this client hates me, this client doesn't want to work with me, like you think that the contract could be in trouble and they might want to terminate get on the phone with them and see if it's something that you can salvage. Yeah, because email, you can't convey the meaning nearly as well or that attitude and spirit behind it. So really sometimes just a five-minute phone call can take care of a lot of questions and miscommunications. And then you realize, oh, okay, we're good. They were just busy running, doing things for their fundraiser or the kid got sick. They just couldn't reply. Exactly. And I think that it's, it's one of those things where... When you're doing business virtually and you are not necessarily face-to-face with your clients as much, I think that that's one of the hazards that's just, it's there. So don't be afraid to get on the phone with them. Even if you tell them, I'm 100% virtual, this is how we're going to communicate. If you think that people would benefit from it, the other thing that I tell people, you can always make an exception to your own contract. You it's a contract and it is there to guide you. But like, if you find out that you're not working well together or like something horrible has happened in their life or their organization or whatever the case might be, and you need to make a change, you have the ability to do that. It is your business as a consultant. So please don't feel like you've always got to hold yourself to, I can only do A or B. You can always make an exception if you need to. I like that reminder. And that's kind of like when I've worked with clients on implementing curriculum or following some of my framework in some of my programs, it's like, this is here to work for you, not you to be a slave to this curriculum or this program. This is designed to customize to your situation. So that sounds like that's kind of the same way. I truly think that that is a really important part to remember about legal is it really, it should grow and move and be flexible with your business. It should never feel like something that is a hurdle that you've got to deal with. It really should feel like it is there to protect and 
it's just something that's there as a protection, as a shield, as whatever you want to make it. It doesn't have to be that it is a complete barrier for your business though. Always make sure that you are comfortable. If you need to make a change, make a change. If you need to make an exception, it doesn't matter if that's what your contract says. If you as the business owner are able to make that exception, you can. And I think that, you know, if COVID gave business owners anything, a lot of times we did have to be flexible because this was not something that anybody remotely had planned for. I can tell you, I had people asking me questions and I'm like, your contract doesn't say anything because no one on earth imagined global pandemic. No one, you know, was it a possibility? Sure. But did we write contracts around it? No. So for a lot of folks, it was like, okay, let's talk about, you know, these are your options. And it might be that you make an exception to what your agreement says, because you know that they're dealing with a financial hardship, or maybe you give an extension, whatever the case might be to kind of get through whatever that thing is. And I love that because to me, it feels like a relief to know that, okay, we have some flexibility here. We can create this how we need it Mm -hmm. and not worry about, okay, this is what my lawyer gave me and I can't deviate from it. We can adapt and adjust it. And for certain situations, it may need to be flexible and that's okay. I really like that feeling of just knowing that, okay, we can work with this, not stick inside this framework and that's it. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that's very helpful and relieving to know. <laughs> okay. So as we wrap up and as consultants are thinking about this, is there a resource that's been meaningful to you along the way of building your own consulting business? Most of the things that I can come up with are kind of lawyer related. So I'm not going to drive anybody down that road because it's just, <laughs> I'm sorry. Nobody wants to do that if they don't have to. On behalf of the listeners, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that for a lot of folks who are in consulting, I always kind of go back to some, I don't really view it as self-help. I view it as more self exploration and knowing who you are and who you want your business to be. So I think that those can help, but I always, the person I go back to every time, and I know she's so popular, so everybody probably has read her is Brene Brown. But I think that just reading some of those things can really help you to determine like, okay, how do I want my business to be? Like, what are my values? What is this? And those things can drive your contracts because if you say to yourself, you know, I want to be this kind of person in this kind of business, Tell your lawyer that because your lawyer really should be able to say, okay, well, if you want to be doing X, you know, maybe we should think about not having this type of clause in there if that's a value that's important to you. So I do think that some of those pieces can really kind of all fit together in the puzzle for you. I like that because in my program, I try to help people understand their personality and their bigger picture of their goals for their life, not just how do you want to build this consulting business, but how do you want this to fit in? Mm -hmm. So what you're saying really speaks to that of making sure your contract helps you build that as well. Yeah, And I think that's important. We don't want to build a business we hate. (laughs) True. And your contract should reflect the business that you love, not the business where you're like, "Eh, that kind of doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. So if a lawyer ever gives you a draft and you're just like, "Eh, I don't know if that feels like me, or the language doesn't feel like you, or something doesn't feel like you. And if the lawyer comes back and says, well, too bad, then it's time to look for a different lawyer who does speak to the person in the business that you want to be. Yeah. And it's not something we should be afraid of. We shouldn't have our contract and be afraid to even touch it. 
No, not at so, all. <laughs> so thank you for giving us that permission. Of course. <laughs> to do that. That's, it's good to know and good that we have that flexibility. And over time, I've kind of done that myself, but I've always kind of felt like, e, I hope I'm not changing something I shouldn't. So it's yeah. good to know just from a lawyer that, hey, this mm-hmm. is flexible and this can work for you. Absolutely. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more? And I know you have a whole pool of amazing resources too. So tell us more about those. Sure. If you are the DIY type of person that I think I am, but I'm not, um, then if you want to check out legal templates, I do have a shop. It's business ease, which is business with ESE at the end of it. And there's a number of different contract options there. I have a podcast called Simplifying Legal for Small Business Owners. And My goal with the podcast is short episodes that are very specific to a particular need. So if you're thinking, I got to get through this contract, but I don't know how to to read X, then I hopefully will have an episode on that for you and you can kind of get more information. And then if you're ever interested in legal services, I do have a full service law firm, List Legal, which you can find at listlegal.com. And I'd be happy to talk with you about creating contracts that really reflect you and your business. Thank you for that. And I will say the podcast is very easy to understand and digest. (laughs) (laughs) It's in everyday language. So thank you for that, for breaking it down for us. (laughs) I don't think I'd be able to do it in formal language. Like, I think I would just like kind of be laughing at myself. Like, who are you? Like, this is, it's so not me to do something like that. Like I, it's just not my thing. And so I'd be like unable to get through it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I do too. It's like, I want to break this stuff down so that people can just understand how do you do grant writing? How do you start? You don't have to use all the big terms right off the bat. So yeah, (laughs) you may never need to use any of the big terms. You probably need to know what they mean, but then you can say, you know what? I want to use it. Cool. Yeah. And then let your lawyer tell you which ones you need or don't need. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Yep, that's right. So, okay. Well, thank you. I will definitely include all those links in the show notes and people can click through and check those out and learn more and at least have an idea of where to start with this Mm -hmm. because then it's not so overwhelming. You can take it step by step and make it work for you to have a business that you are protected, but you do enjoy. So that's the main thing is to make sure that we have that combination and that balance. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and we appreciate all the great information. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, friends, so much good stuff here this week. Everything is in the show notes for you. You can click the links to go through and check out Danielle Liss's materials if you are needing support with contracts. And remember to answer my question, what's your biggest challenge or frustration when it comes to grant writing? You can email me or message me over on LinkedIn. Those are also in the show notes for you there too. Speaking of LinkedIn, come back next week because we're gonna be talking about how you can polish up those LinkedIn profiles to look like the professional that you are. If you found this helpful, would you please share it with a friend? Let's spread the word and let's get others involved in this nonprofit work too. All right. Have a great week.